Hey there, I'm Pete Townsend, and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. Before we get started this week, just a quick heads up that the Techstars Web3 Accelerator is now open for applications for the class of 2024. Jump on over to techstars.com slash accelerators slash web3 to apply. In this episode, I'm joined by my second guest co-host in the post-Owen era, Alejandro Gutierrez. Alejandro is a CEO of DeFactor Labs. DeFactor Labs provides all the required technological and financial tools for traditional companies to tap into alternative sources of financing using tokenized real-world assets as collateral. I'll link all of Alejandro's details in the show notes so you can get in touch with him. In this Money Talks segment, Alejandro and I riff on the SEC cracking down on NFTs as a fundraising tool by looking at the Mila Kunis-backed Stoner Cats project and that of LA-based media company Impact Theory. We also step through the story of Visa integrating the Solana blockchain for USDC settlements, Mark Cuban getting hacked, City's new token service, and we close it out with a riff on hype cycles through Web3, superconductors, and AI. All right here on Money Never Sleeps. Alejandro Gutierrez, awesome to have you on the show. Thank you for joining as our second guest co-host after the departure of Owen Fitzgerald. I know you might have seen him on Thursday night in Dublin, did you? That's correct. I, I saw him on the FinTech Awards night. And thank you very much, Pete, for having me here. It's fantastic. I've been following the show for some time now. And big shoes to fill in, not just Owen, but last week episode as well. Yeah, no, that was Laura, hey, Laura. Walsh. Laura, yeah, was Laura, Laura Walsh, Walsh was on. Jesus Christ. But yeah, as as... As we would say for Owen, because Laura said the same thing, and Zapatos Grandes, you know? Zapatos Grandes. <laughs> Big to fill. Yeah. But no, and then o- Owen unfortunately lost out on his award night ceremony to my Santa Maria. Like I said last week, I can't pick between the two in terms of who I would want to win that award, but I'm glad it was the two of them were down to the top two. But my did win for the best, what, public servant or public That's servant correct. of the year. That's correct. Yeah, so look, congratulations to Mike. You're going to be losing against someone. I think Mike is a good person to be losing against. Yeah, so. <laughs> definitely. And then DeFactor, you are obviously CEO of DeFactor Labs and DeFactor won an award for yes. the night, right? That's correct. Yeah, we actually were awarded or we were nominated for three awards and we took home the best crypto blockchain uh, or digital asset practice of the year. Good. Extremely humble, happy yeah, for the recognition. And yeah, exciting, super exciting, actually. It's uh, finally the fintech industry is realizing that uh, these companies coming from DeFi, they are more than JPEGs, uh, speculation and scams. So totally. really, really excited. Yeah, it was awesome to see that. Awesome to see that inclusion in the fintech awards because that's where this all started for me as well is that I found my way into crypto and blockchain through fintech. Everyone has their route in and yeah, congratulations to DeFactor Labs for- Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And maybe just for the audience who may not be that familiar with DeFactor Labs, you want to just give a quick intro into what you guys are doing? Yeah. So we are the credit marketplace that is based on blockchain. And the idea here is just to use decentralized finance technology in order to use on one side, help traditional financiers to explore alternative sources of liquidity. And on the other side, we are targeting traditional investors that want to start exploring the DeFi space and they want to use 
see what the benefits are or working in DeFi, but on a regulated space. So everything that we are doing, everything that we're talking at the moment is just fully regulated. And I think that's the entry point for all these people. Yeah, that's the way it's going. For people to adopt this tech, they need to do it in a way that makes them feel safe. Correct. And I know that one of the stories you picked out for us to talk about today that might reflect some of the trends of the industry going in that direction. Looking forward to getting your insights on that in a little bit. But to get started, the first one that I thought was interesting to go through, and obviously in the US right now, there's just so much going on in terms of the toxicity being spewed towards crypto and in a number of different forms. And the one that came up in the last few weeks has been one that I was looking at for some companies that I'm aware of that may be doing something similar, but this is really around NFTs or non-fungible tokens. And so the two examples that we have are Stoner Cats, which is backed by Mila Kunis of what, That 70s Show? And obviously Correct. she's done it. That wasn't the only thing she's done. She's been in a few <laughs> movies since then. Yeah. And also married to Ashton Kutcher, who is most famous for, in my book, for Dude, Where's My Car? Yeah. So Great who's movie, most actually. famous? famous <laughs> Anyway, listen, I'm going down a tangent, but the other one was impact theory and impact theory were actually, they were grabbed first. This was in TechCrunch. I hadn't really heard of these guys yet. Had you heard of impact theory? Uh, before actually, I was just checking the news and to be honest, I was quite surprised uh, with these. Yeah, so was I. And the founder of impact theory came out and spoke about this and had a few words, but did so in a very diplomatic manner. But basically it was that, that impact theory encouraged potential investors to view the purchase of founders keys, which we've seen a bunch of NFT projects do as an investment into the business, stating that investors would profit from their purchases if impact theory was successful in its efforts. The SEC order said, adding that the digital assets offered to investors were in the form of investment contracts and therefore securities. So they got fined $6.1 million for an unregistered securities offering. They raised 30 million. Yeah. So you raise 30 million to get 6.1 million years to your commission. You got to pay the SEC. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they still did okay with that. But then Tom Bilyeu, I think B-I-L-Y-E-U, the founder, he came out and said, we're going to operate on a go forward basis. We're going to keep this going. We're going to keep going on good faith. And that... We will make clear that all of our digital assets are collectibles with utility, with an exciting new landscape of borderless entertainment, so on and so forth. But it was just the fact that the SEC identified this one that, yeah, Yeah. great 30 million is a great raise to do. But on the basis of, hey, you sold these founders keys, it's expected that the efforts of the founders of Impact Theory would contribute to the potential upside for these NFTs. And so hence, it is an unregistered securities offering. Correct. Look, I, I think on that one, I think this one is a bit more clear than the that they were a project the one from Mila Kunis, right? Because these guys clearly were stating that look, if everything goes well, you're going to just get some profit out of it, and that in a way is the definition of a security. I, I think what it raises eyebrows is the fact like, oh wow, these guys are looking at even these smaller projects that are in the space, and if we have seen something from the SE that is interesting, it's like a, when they go into that narrative. They start chasing people and chasing people. And then they just move to the next shiny thing. So I don't know if you remember when was that like six months ago and they started actually targeting these big celebrities. Mm-hmm. And they went after Kim Kardashian. There were some sportsmen in there as well. 
and it was just the same way. You took actually some profit out of doing uh, some publicity for some securities and you never disclosed that. I think there were six or seven people, celebrities, all of them that were targeted by the AC. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Because now you see it happening in this space, in the NFT space, right? Yeah. It, for example, Mika, the market crypto assets in Europe, they carved NFTs out, right? Because they're like, it's just too nebulous right now. It's like yeah. saying that a baseball card that I used to buy in the 1980s, 1990s, that I bought a pack of them for a dollar, hoping that I would get one that was worth $10 and that I would benefit from the upside. Oh, it's decentralized though, right? It's not the, the, it's not the baseball card printer and company. It is the actual baseball players themselves, right? So where baseball cards were sufficiently decentralized. So I don't know. But I, the, the Mila Kunis one, the Stoner Cat one, had some more interesting threads on it as well. I think they, they pay $1 million. Yeah. That was the fine from it. They destroyed the NFTs, actually. Whatever NFTs that were still in their control, they were born. However, the rest of the NFTs that were in control of the users, the people that voted, they're still there, right? And, and there is no way that the SE can force these people to use just born them. And as a consequence of this, actually, the price of these NFTs just increased like 130%. It is pretty interesting to see, right, what the consequences sometimes of the actions of the enforcers are, right, in the market. Yeah, and that's the idea, right? And I think it was the thought that they may be getting some money back, right, if they were to buy them back that pumped up the value here. But it was that they could be made worthless. And it, this is the thing, right? They could be made worthless if their utility, which was granting access to the Stoner Cats web series, behind the scenes bonus features and the Stoner Cat community, if that was yeah. all neutralized by the creators and said, sorry, you don't get access to that anymore. That is the true utility, right? Which to me, again, is just like buying a ticket to go into a gig, but buying the extra high price ticket because you want to get into the front row circle that you can only get in to with a wristband and you've got access to your own bar. So yeah. again, where are we going to fall down on this in terms of everyday real world assets that people are buying? versus these that are deemed to be securities. I think one interesting thing with this as well is that because of all of the NFTs were stored in Arweave, and Arweave is, we've had the founder Sam Williams on the show. He's also a mentor for tech stars like you, Alejandro. Arweave's whole thing is this is permanent data storage. And that what Sam Williams said about that was that we don't want this kind of revisionist history approach to try to say, well, this never happened. So we're gonna we're gonna delete this news. So now that it's stored on Arweave, it will be there forever. So you can't get rid of these things if they are on Arweave. That's a whole that's a whole idea. Permanent data storage forever. Some of these crypto themes and Web three decentralized themes are clearly at play here in in these two stories. But listen, I think some of this Alejandro is reminiscent of some of the music. NFTs that we're seeing and and what might happen there is any of this ringing true for you? Yeah, same. Like what I see, the implications this can have on uh, some of those NFT marketplaces out there to some of the platforms that are uh, focusing on helping uh, creators. I I believe that that is going to have massive implications on how they're going to be approaching now the release of these NFTs, right? Because if you cannot actually provide that extra to your more loyal fans 
okay, so what are you going to be doing next to be uh, trying to bring them into the platform or incentivize them to, to be loyal fans? Key question, right? And, and that might potentially just erode the whole uh, NFT industry for collectibles. Yeah, I, I think it's, I've been talking to folks about this and about centralization versus decentralization and the use of tokens in each one of the two models. And if that, it is clearly something that is decentralized, which takes a while to be able to truly do that, then having a token involved yeah. in that is obviously something that you need in order to operate your network. That is for a fungible token. When you're talking about a non-fungible token, all right, we start to get into a little bit of a different area there. When it's centralized, like Impact Theory, like Stoner Cats, yeah, we can see that you're using this as a fundraising vehicle. But let's take our friends at Sonics from the last Techstars cohort, right? And that the NFTs that are on their platform is truly digital merch, right? Whether it's videos or acoustic tracks or exclusive tracks or whatever it may be that you get access to with this NFT or that NFT itself is the actual media. Those aren't being used for fundraising. That is just, hey, someone wants to buy a digital good in a digital store let them buy that digital good and that a that goes to the artist but it's nothing anywhere near being able to raise 6 million or even 30 million no not at the moment right not at the moment but what happened with the biggest or with the big artist cuz those guys might have potentially be going on, on those levels cuz that ring fencing has been always there from the a artist perspective as you mentioned, hey, you pay X amount of, of dollars and then you have the meet and greet. And not in Europe, because in Europe, after the regulation, you cannot realistically just sell uh, the tickets that you, uh, you bought on a profit on platforms. But in America, you can just get one of those tickets and straight away just buy it on three, five times the price that you pay. Yeah, for it. it depends on who's getting the upside, right? So it's exactly. And, and does a portion of that go back to the original band? Like... If you just take a 20,000 seat arena, right? And say that yeah. a ticket price of $100, 10 shows, the net revenue on that or total gross revenue on that, that is 20 million. Great, we're talking about some big numbers yeah. here. And that if the ticketing system then took say a 10% cut on the resale of those and say maybe a third of them were resold, that's another 600,000 coming on top of this, right? Where are you gonna draw the line? And I think Mika did it smartly and said, NFTs are out of scope for this. Now, the thing with European regulation is that it's never finished and that it will continue with new versions of it continuing to come. So with the payment services directive, yeah. right? We had PSD, well, it was PSD, and then there was PSD2 and now PSD3 is coming. We're gonna see the first version of Mika and then we will see more. And that is it. It will continue to evolve. And the U.S. just needs to get on their horse and get these the first part of a regulatory framework over the line. I think the FIT Act, FIT, Financial Innovation Technology, something like that, needs to yeah. be the first one that gets over. But it might be caught up in this filibuster, whatever political word they call it, that takes place in the U.S. Congress. I don't know what's going to happen there. But we clearly need some guidance here so that companies know what they can and can't do. Correct, and I think the big problem is the longer you're waiting to actually take action from the regulatory perspective, the harder it's going to get because the speed at which all the blockchain development, all the applications attached to blockchain are developing, is going to be really difficult in 
three mm. years time to just actually create something that is comprehensive to cover everything. Yeah. It's like the regulation is becoming like textbooks. You can't write textbooks fast enough these days. There's no point in writing a textbook. You, you just can't. look at Twitter. <laughs> well, maybe not Twitter. You're, you're going to follow the development of, you know, at GitHub to be able to see what, how fast technology is moving. So sorry, class, here's your class notes. Yeah. Just go check out GitHub on this specific topic. There you go. We're done. On that note, I mentioned the payment services directive a couple of minutes ago, but the next one that I wanted to take a look at Alejandro was this announcement that Visa and Solana and USDC alongside WorldPay and Nuve are working together in order to enable USDC settlements on the Solana blockchain. So for those that may not be that familiar, USDC is a stablecoin that is that is issued by Circle, one of the biggest players out there. I think it's second in market cap, somewhere close to 30 billion. And I think Tether's up around 50, 60 billion in terms of being the other big stablecoin yeah. out there. And Solana is one of the major blockchain protocols and that it is known as the fast blockchain right? Or that it's known for its speed in terms of settlement. So for example, a Bitcoin block takes 10 minutes to, to round itself out and that all transactions are final. I think Ethereum is somewhere around 12, 13 seconds and that Solana is less than a second or something like that. And so what they've effectively done is they said they're creating this ability for USDC, this stablecoin, to move through the Visa network and settle on the Solana blockchain. Yeah. Uh, USDC is available on Ethereum, it's available on Solana, it's available on a bunch of other blockchain protocols as well. So many. I think there are 10 right now, 10 different networks that they are they Absolutely. right now. I think this, to me, is still an experiment, right? I got very familiar with the whole credit card framework and how Visa and merchant acquirers and issuers all work together to basically move the $14.99 you paid for your Netflix subscription within two days, okay? And that settles to Netflix in two days after it actually hits your card. And that is just ridiculous that it actually takes that long. But there's so much float in the system and that is how all the different players here make a living and they get their cut, right? Because there's what, 3% fee for MasterCard and Visa for using those channels and that they then parse that out to those that help to move the money through the channel. So with USDC on Solana, that two day transaction for Netflix to get their money, they could have that in 0.4 seconds if they chose to. So I think it's gonna take until, again, this has just been an experiment. I think the key quote was Lex Sokolin and shout out to Lex, I did his podcast last week, that was a, Great chat I had with him. And I'll just say to everybody that he is fantastic at editing because there was a lot of rants, not rants, tangents I went down on that episode with him. But he's incredibly good. What was most impressive was the show notes that he did. And he interspersed pictures of our conversation. I worked for BNP Paribas in Dublin in from 2006 to 2015. He put a picture of the building into the show notes of BNP Paribas in Dublin oh, wow. and had references to Ned Johnson at Fidelity and all this other stuff we talked about and metaverse hype cycles and all these other things. Anyway, listen, back to the point. Lex Zocklin said, if you had the choice of underwriting payment settlement risk with a two-day time lag or with a 12-second settlement time or even a half of a second, which would you choose? What would you want to do? Well, it's quite clear, right? You would like to use how they cash in your pocket as quickly as possible, right? And the only interesting component out of these is 
that you are going to be cutting a lot of these people in the middle that are eroding a little mm -hmm. bit your profit. Well, it's, it's a really compelling case for every single one of these payment solutions and, and payment rails. So that's the reason we're seeing more and more these guys coming and exploring. We see how in MasterCard exploring these, you have Visa, you have some more PayPal as well. It's going on at uh, the guys from Stripe. Yep. Thing, seeing uh, the big players uh, starting testing and experimenting, right? And, and being actually working in these open networks like Sorana is just fantastic, right? It just gives you a clear indication that, that there is something there. They're experimenting to understand what uh, and what is going to be the final outcome. I don't think we know yet, but it's extremely it is. exciting. It definitely is. And it was, I think, Kai Sheffield, who is one of the execs at Visa. He said, no faster settlement yet. This is just an experiment. That, yeah. But Nick Carter from Castle Island Ventures, and I listened to his podcast on the brink quite a bit. He said, even my non-crypto fintech friends are excited, right? Enabling real world credit card, debit card settlements take place using crypto rails, right? Which is a big, huge validation right there. And it's massive. That, but in reality, there's so much of that already that I found, and again, Nick Carter pointed this out on one of the podcasts. I went and did a bit of digging and found the report that he was talking about where he referenced 75% of all blockchain transactions are in stable coins. And I went and looked for that and what it actually was 74% of centralized crypto exchange transactions, so those that take place on Coinbase, Gemini, that they involve a stable coin. And this was Kaiko. And we had Ambra Subaran, who is the CEO of Kaiko, on the show a few years ago. And this was their state of stable coins report for July, 2023. But that is a big trend line that, okay, we just spent the last 14 years building something to move the US dollar. <laughs> Correct. There was a fantastic uh, article today uh, in the okay. book. Just talking about stable coins and the euro dollar and how those two concepts are totally so similar, right? And how, if you understand your dollar, you're going to be able actually just to make so much more stable coins. And I think that's a debate that is starting to just open yep. right now. Yep. I think Nick Carter wrote something about Euro dollars and, and stable coins as well. In, but for me, it's been the e-money regulation in Europe and seeing how that's unfolded. And then seeing how Mika have referenced e-money tokens and stable coins as being e-money tokens. It all yeah. needs to be 100% back. E-money today, if you have an e-money wallet. 100% of the funds that you hold in that wallet on behalf of customers need to be safeguarded in a safeguarding account with a financial institution. Yep. And the stable coins are going the same way. So it, the funny thing is like when I talk to most people who are not crypto native and I mentioned something about stable coins, they're like, what the hell is that? It's just so many people don't know that it exists out there. And I went through yeah. the some of the stats in the top 10 crypto assets out there and Bitcoin and Ethereum are 70% of the market. Right. And then you've got stable coins, which are another 10% of the market. Okay. We're at 80. Let's do the math. Getting us up to 95%, which is the next 15%, are the remainder of the top 10. So the other six, including BNB and a few others, right? That That is 95% of the cryptocurrency market cap is made up of 10. Okay. So that's 0.1% of the total crypto assets out there. 99.9% .9 yeah. of the crypto assets out there are outside of the top 10 in value. And so this is a very heavily concentrated market, but 
that it is a largely plain vanilla market right now. No, and look, and I assume that's the beauty out of the, the decentralized nature and giving the chance to people to just create their own exactly. products. I am for people to just go on and, and back some of these things. My God, is there a real utility for some of those tokens? That's a different question, but just the possibility of doing it. Yeah, that's yeah, massive. Absolutely, right? absolutely. So that one was, again, or got a lot of excitement going amongst the community there, but I think we've seen a number of these things that MasterCard and Visa have been working on. And it's, again, it's just more momentum and positivity yeah. and validation for the whole ecosystem. You found one that is quite, I don't know if I call it the word entertaining, but it's uh, it, it brought a smile to my face. I mean, Mark Cuban is Mark Cuban, but tell us what happened, Alejandro. Yeah, so basically last week, Mark Cuban was in a podcast and he disclosed that his MetaMask wallet, it was hacked and drained. And I think they took close to $100,000. This is really interesting, right? Because one of the talks in the space all the time is about UX, UI, and custody wallets, right? Especially these self-custody wallets. And the responsibility that is trusted, right? The individuals to do that. And then we have someone like Mark Cuban that having invested in the industry heavily that has that tech knowledge because he has developed actually a few big components in the industry from coding to other things. And for him to actually get, get scammed opens the question again to, okay, are we ready for, for a real adoption? Are we ready for the grandpas and grandmas of the world to be using this? Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> I, it, is, it is the way that, that he was mentioning it is right. Yeah, the guy actually just went, downloaded a um, patch on his uh, MetaMask wallet, and that allows people to use one into Oh, yeah, frame. it can happen so quickly. It can happen so quickly. Yeah. And that you click on one link, and it's happened to me. Tim Ferriss was doing an NFT launch, and I saw mm -hmm. uh, a, a tweet come across, this was last year, that was a very good imitation of that. And I clicked on the link and I don't know how they got my Twitter tag or thought that I would be interested in this, but they got my Twitter handle. They put it into the tweet. I clicked on the link, immediately went to my MetaMask wallet and signed the transaction just stupidly. I was just going so fast. I'm like, I want to see what this NFT launch is all about, blah, 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 blah. Just out of curiosity, I wasn't actually going to buy it. And then what I did was that I actually signed a transaction that someone knew that I was a holder of another NFT that was worth maybe something like $1,200. And their idea yeah. was, okay, see if we can get them interested in this one, click on this link, and then boom, we're going to take that NFT. And they, they took that NFT from me. Now, the issuer of the NFT bought it back on the open market on OpenSea from the person who stole it, and she gave it back to me. <laughs> And I'm like, you didn't just do that oh, for me. I mean, it was, you know, but I, I don't want to reveal any names here, but it was those things, they happen so fast. So yeah, you're right. For grandmas and grandpas to be in there doing this, like I've said this before, my mom asked me, should Pete, with all this stuff you're doing in crypto, should we be buying Bitcoin and saving some money? I said, absolutely not. You know, <laughs> not for you. So we're not there yet, but are we ready for credit card transactions to settle over stablecoin rails? Probably. And, and that's and, because and that's, the that's, whole yeah. complexity of this is obfuscated or abstracted away from the end user, right? Correct. And that's a big difference, right? Because I think it's a big difference when you have big players 
mitigating the risk and having that safety net compared to retail investors or okay, yeah, individuals that they have the responsibility. And one of the points that, that I, I made here is, I think the beautiful <laughs> conundrum decentralization is, or DeFi, is that all the benefits of DeFi at the same time, the downfalls of DeFi. They are. Right? And again, what is the middle ground in there that is going to allow us to solve these, to just have a, more of a safety space or a safe space for retail investors? Yeah, especially. totally. Right? Totally. What used to take, I don't know, a year of investment banking product development team to do can now be done in a week with smart contracts. And we just need to be careful there. Correct. Yeah, because one of the things like you're going to be giving more powerful tools to the same people that have been actually like corrupting the system for mm -hmm. a long time. And that's something we need to just have pretty clear. There are going to be people that are going to be getting more creative. And are we ready for that either? Well, <laughs> so. and what's her name? She was up against, she won an award versus my Santa Maria once. Hey, I know exactly who you're talking about. Tina um, Baker-Taylor is head of Policy yes. Circle. And she said yeah. something like, listen, we use, we overuse this analogy back to the dot-com era way too much in terms of the market impact and volatility and mm -hmm. bubbles and all that. But reality is if you look inside and you see the unscrupulous nature of some of the individuals that were involved in the dot-com era and people just throwing anything up against the wall to see if it would stick and raising a ton of money yeah. and then everybody losing their shirt, it's like in in areas of rapidly advancing new technology, you're going to see tons of speculators, okay? And the, the, that is just the way that things happen. And as we move through each cycle of this, we'll hopefully see less and less of it. Again, I digress. One more story that I know you wanted to talk to today, Alejandro. And this one I know is nearer and dearer to your DeFi heart in that City has a new token service. And I was thinking of... When you mentioned that to me, asking Dave Cunningham it, what his insights were on this, and we'll see if he does have any, but uh, I'll do that. I'll do that after the fact. But tell us what happened here. Tell us what City is doing with their new token service. I'll find off. I'm meeting Dave tomorrow in the in the McCann's event. Oh, uh, very McCann's good. McCann's talking about all this tokenization piece and component. Look, I think this is really exciting. So they released yesterday in Blumber about that new tokenization service. And what they want to do in the beginning is, is a private blockchain uh, that is going to help them settling uh, trade finance uh, transactions faster, right? They want to focus on trade finance, which is fantastic because trade finance has a huge deficit. There's around $2.5 trillion. I was reading last week, that's the latest estimation. So it has grown from 1.3 to 2.5. And having the chance, actually, just for a company like Citibank, right, an institution like Citibank, to be testing blockchain solutions, right, to just testing a, a stable coin, stable coins, right, to be just doing this transaction and this person who funds, just has a massive validation for the people in the ecosystem. There's another component really interesting in that press release, and they are mentioning there that they are one or they want to start working, actually with some other actors in the ecosystem. And what I can get from that, I assume is smaller companies, people to test that because at the end of the day, it doesn't make any sense that they are creating these just mm -hmm. for themselves. It has been proven again and again that when you have these close test cases, 
they end up dying pretty soon. And we saw that, remember, with Marco Polo and the likes that were trying to do actually uh, some conglomerates in the banking space for trade finance. All of them basically yeah. disappear. And the reason is because it's like the Billy No Mates football right? on a string, right? And, and that you can have a little bit of fun kicking it back and forth yourself for a while. But yeah. it's yeah. <laughs> the fun lasts about 10 minutes. Yeah, that's, that's it. Interesting. Like I was having a chat with Brian Elders yeah. last week in the one in Singapore for Token 2049, right? And one of the questions when they were catching up with all the investors and big institutions is, okay, what do you want to do? <laughs> Brian Elders, as it was really interesting, say, well, instead of putting money in your own products, why you don't put money on some products that are outside from the startups that you can actually support? And that will change completely the whole totally. dynamic. And everybody is like, a, okay, yeah, fair enough. So, so it's a good point, right? Yeah. And they were mentioning a really particular business case that is uh, on fueling, like mm -hmm. all the bunker, that is actually the fuel that big ocean carriers use. But this can actually extrapolate to like commerce, like a international commerce and more traditional letters of credit for export on import of goods. And that's when you started hearing actually all that SME market that is the one that is completely under service at the moment. That's when it's starting getting okay. pretty interesting. All right. No, there, there's an, another thread to pull on there at some point going forward, because I think this is a much bigger story. Like you said, the one thing that I picked up on this is that, yeah, City will be doing this on a private blockchain owned and managed by the bank and that they'll set, clients will need to set up their own digital wallet and will be able to access the service through the bank's existing systems. So while that may sound like they're doing something, while well, this is just a tiny little experiment internally, the fact that they are leveraging a blockchain to do this means that, and I've seen this, how the inside of banks work. When you're trying to move exposure yeah. from one part of the bank to the next part of the bank, that can take a day to move, never mind seconds to move. That can take a day to move exposure around. So yeah. it, it, again, a, a good, nice step forward and would be curious what Dave Cunningham, shout out to Dave and shout out to Brian Elders as well. Now that you mention him, be curious to hear what Dave's, if Dave had a hand in this, what's his name? Danny Ocean. Was it Danny Ocean in Ocean's 11? Danny Ocean. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, it was Danny Ocean. Let's hope that the Irish ecosystem can benefit dramatically from this. I hope that's, that's the case. Look, it is really big. If you ask me. Good. This is big. good. And did Brian have any other stories from token 2049 in Singapore? Yeah, few, but uh, probably it is not the right audience for it. <laughs> so the, the big thing in token 2049 was tokenization of real world okay. assets. That's what everybody was talking about, um, which is, is great for us because we have been just dancing <laughs> that music for years and years. And it's good to see that people suddenly are starting to realize the benefits and how big this is going to be for the whole ecosystem. And not just for the Web3 or DeFi ecosystem, but also for the whole fintech and financial it is. space. Right? And this is what got me into this space back in 2015 anyway, was just thinking that blockchain was going to eradicate the financial plumbing of these slow, decrepit, archaic financial markets and where yeah. the tech was built in the 60s and 70s. And that... The word tokenization that was big in 2017, 2018 with the financial institutions, it's now crept back into the lexicon because they're seeing some real examples happen like DeFactor that they're saying, actually, wait a second, there's a lot to this and there's a lot more we can do. I remember when you and I were on stage at Zebu Live, I think it was last year or two years ago, that where it was like, yeah. look at this real estate market, look at all these other real world asset markets, they're huge.
And if, like we mentioned in the stablecoin story, Nuve are a merchant acquirer, they're taking 60 bips off all these transactions. Now, doing a great job at what they do and keeping this whole thing running, even a small cut in a very huge market is worth a lot of money. It's a huge, huge, huge opportunity. So yeah, we're talking here about traders and traders of dollars, right? Because yeah, I think opportunities. I think, because when we're talking about all these new technology, I always say, look, I I hope this is not just ended up being a way for big players to optimize whatever they have without having the chance to just provide new services and give opportunities to the people around there that need this realistically. Because in that sense, the ethos of the whole blockchain space would have failed. Oh, yeah. Oh, and what's interesting is the the interplay with AI, of course. And that that AI hype cycle has already left at least the VC to start up investing community where it's okay, pivot to AI, don't pivot to AI because the VC have already moved on because they all realize that the big players have already nailed this. So Meta, Google, OpenAI being Microsoft backed and everything that if you look at the financial markets to have the big players nail yeah. blockchain, absolutely not. It's all a whole new world. There's some connection there and some big opportunity there that if yeah. you're going to get exposure to AI, you just go invest in Microsoft. You got to invest in Meta. You got to invest in Google. If you want to get exposure to this big opportunity, you need to be getting some money in through venture capital to the leading early stage startups. That's my two cents. And this is fantastic, right? Because I was having a chat a month ago, probably, with someone about this. And and what I said, look, it's really interesting just to see all these people that were just preaching and just telling the news about Web3 for a long time. And now you're seeing them jumping into the AI boat because the VCs were doing that. So the VCs just jumped like out of the blue and said, okay, everybody's just AI and they're starting investing heavily in AI. They pulled in a way Web3 on the side. And it's fantastic because what you're saying, now they're realizing like, oh, yep. wait a second. Yep. I think we jumped the gun here too quickly. And there's a lot happening in that space. Maybe it's good to actually totally. just and, and it was the same thing. They moved from Web3 to AI to superconductors and they realized superconductors weren't going to be a thing. So they moved back to AI and then realized that all the big players have it nailed. So it's just, okay, yeah. just don't invest. And some of the startups that we work with would hate to hear this, but don't just invest Mrs. VC or Mr. VC on the basis of, oh, so-and-so says this sector's hot, right? And now some of them may roll over in their graves or roll over in their whatevers in their in their Patagonia vest when they hear me say this. And what the hell am I wearing? I'm wearing a Patagonia top, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's, man, you, you got to invest based upon fundamentals. Early stage for me is all about team. It's all about the founder. Are they solving a big problem in a big market? Can they demonstrate that people actually want through, through showing some traction? Can they prove that this is a technology that they can work with and they've actually made some progress with their product? Yeah. I think it's that conviction, right? It's that conviction that they're not going to be jumping into the next shiny thing in three months time because oh, there's something that can bring more totally. opportunity. I know. All right. Well, listen, Alejandro, we're going to wrap it there for today this has been awesome we got into some material i didn't think we we're going to get into so thank you and this reminds me of that first walk we had back in dunleary a couple years ago when you and i first chatted and thanks to brian elders again for the intro there but looking forward to doing this again sometime soon yeah Pete. no it was fantastic so thank you very much for the invite thank you 
That does it for this week, folks. You can learn more about the stories we covered in the show notes on our website, moneyneversleeps.ie. Thanks to Alejandro Gutierrez for all the insights he shared in co-hosting this episode with me. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it helps others to find the show. Also, thanks to Conan Brophy from Create Sound for mixing and editing this episode. Conan is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm an early stage startup investor focused on where fintech meets crypto and crypto meets Web3, and I lead the Techstars Web3 Accelerator. There are plenty of links in the show notes on moneyneversleeps.ie and how to get in touch with us, so don't hesitate to reach out. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See you!